This is an ABC podcast. This is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. Have you noticed more rats and mice at your place? If you have, you're not alone. And there are a lot of icky reactions going on whenever we talk about this, Jono. But lockdown is causing the rats to move out into the suburbs. And the reason being is because apparently all of the restaurants and cafes in the city centres are closed. Well, they are social creatures. <laughs> <laughs> they do like to live with you. They've actually evolved to live beautifully with humans. Well, beautifully is one way to put it. But when the cafes close, their food source gets closed off as well. So they've moved, like many others, to the suburbs. And that's why you're seeing more of them. But there is a secondary problem. More and more people are poisoning rats and mice and they're using a poison that's available at most supermarkets and hardware stores, but it's having a terrible impact on our bird life. Yes. Now, these are anticoagulant poisons. They've been described as toxic little time bombs that can gradually accumulate and cause slow and painful deaths in some birds. So much so that some countries have banned them and there's a push for Victoria to do the same. So have you noticed more rats and mice at your place and are you doing anything about it? Is there a way we can learn to live with rodents or are they simply a dirty pest that we need to get rid of? On ABC Radio, this is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. I can't help myself. I I like good food, okay? And... Good food is, is hard for a rat to find. It wouldn't be so hard to find if you weren't so picky. I don't want to eat garbage, Dad. One of my favourite movies, Ratatouille, where it busts all the myths of rats. Texts already coming in about whether or not you're seeing more rodents at your place. Rish and Jono, we've had a series of rats on our roof and garden this year, eating our veggie garden and chewing through netting. And I prefer not to use poisons. That's from Ali. More and more people are seeing them, Jono, in their backyards. The theory is that not just in Victoria, but around the globe, why they're moving out to the burbs is because cafes and restaurants have shut and it shuts off their food source and they can't socialise, they can't get food. Yeah, and that's right. It's not just a, a problem specific to Victoria. This is, there's been some academic work done on tracking uh, rodents' movements throughout COVID-19. It's really interesting to see that they, well, they basically go where the food is. Associate Professor Matthew Crowther is with the School of Life and Environmental Sciences and has been looking into this. He has an extensive background in wildlife ecology. Good morning. Uh, what are you noticing? Uh, good morning. Well, we've actually looked at these studies. We, well, we started not looking at the effects of COVID, but COVID came along and so therefore we started looking at the effects of COVID. We were looking at numbers for other reasons, but we found particularly last year and maybe we'll see a trend there, is that basically people were noticing that more. Well, we took this by like what people reported, but also through chatting rats themselves and through basic chaps that councils have put out that, again, there was an initial sort of like also more movement of that at the beginning. So people were seeing that at the beginning of COVID, so the 
of the lockdowns, I should say, probably more specifically, that there were some sort of appearing in places that they hadn't seen, and that's probably because they were out sort of look for food, but then they dropped off in numbers quite severely sort of within areas such as the CBD because basically all the restaurants and cafes are closed. When hearing just anecdotally too from friends saying, oh my God, I saw a mouse in my pizza oven or there's a rat in our backyard and it's becoming sort of more common. Just while we have you, Matthew, let's have a chat to Gary. He's in Rochester. Gary, are you noticing more rodents where you are? Yeah, last year when uh, the mice played game, I um, sort of seen a few mice, but I noticed a few rats occasionally just sort of run around the yard and then I bought some of these uh, little... Well, they're not little, they're probably, I don't know, six, six inches across and four inches high and about, I don't know, eight, ten inches long rat trap pages. And I set a couple of them, uh, some with uh, bits of carrot on them or even bits of meat on them. And over the last three months, I've caught 15 rats. I love my birds, so there's no way I want to poison them, but uh, yeah, I've just been catching them alive in the cages and then my dog loves catching them. that's a huge number. Gary, it's interesting that when you say there that you love your birds and you don't want to poison them, and we'll speak to a regular on ABC local radio, Sean Dooley, in just a moment, because it is having a big impact in particular on owls and, and birds of prey when it comes to secondary poisoning. So it's problematic, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yep. no... I think it's it's the way to go. They actually work quite well. The cages actually. I was I would never have thought there was that many rats there. I thought oh. maybe like um, I've got sort of probably a bit of order of, of rubbish junk sort of thing. So there's plenty of places for to hide. But I try not to leave foods for them. But I pardon me. Sorry. I do notice when you um, have your um, um, scrap bin or something like that that you know throw your veggies into. That attracts them. So yes. yeah. yeah, compost bins, anything like that. Fruit trees can be a big attraction. So, um, how do you do? How do you do this academic work of tracking where the rats go, Matthew Crowther? How does that work? Okay, well, that's as we've used several sort of, or well, a couple of different ways of doing it. Again, we set out traps for rats. We set out what small cage traps because to see in areas we had a whole lot of areas around Sydney, for example including on the University of Sydney campus, but also right around the area, so we trapped them there. We also used data that was given to us uh, to access from the City of Sydney Council, and that basically the type of rats that their traps, you know, they get rats go in, they don't come out, they um, basically count the number of rats there. And we also looked at, of course, all the identified, the people's privacy was protected, about where people had reported that or made complaints about that to the council. So there were sort of three sources of data that were used. Yeah. Gosh, there are so many texts here, Matthew, and from all parts of Victoria. Rish and Jono, great topic, and there's a photograph that's included in this one. I thought I was the only person. There are rats uh, all under my deck on my veranda. It's driving me and my dog, Jack, crazy. He's on rat watch as I type. And another saying, rats and mice moved last year in and invaded my first floor flat. I try not to poison them because of the impact on wildlife, but they're very clever. They avoid all traditional traps and the humane ones. Luckily, my indoor cat uh, does a good job, um, but not so much for the rats. That's quite a long text, but this is from Louise. Now, she's in Elwood. Now, it's a, a bayside suburb, but it's probably only about 7Ks from the CBD. So this is happening kind of all around uh, Melbourne and Victoria, Matthew, isn't it? Oh, yeah, so it's happening all around the world, really. Like, it's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Like, 
especially with rats, that uh, have adapted very well to our urban ecosystems because there's so much food and shelter and everything that they require. So, again, yes, this pattern is a worldwide phenomenon. How do we go about, or do we need to change our attitudes to rodents so that we just live with them instead of trying to poison them off and kill them? Well, we, I think we've got to look at sort of a more sort of a nuanced approach. The problem is we're not going to get rid of them all. But living with rats, well, there's only there's, there's a limit to that. You don't want to live with them in your kitchens. You don't want to yep. live with them in your even in your offices chewing wires. You don't want them. They are a health risk. They do carry diseases such as leptospirosis. So you don't want to live with them too much. Leptospirosis has been responsible for a whole lot of dog deaths in the Sydney region and also in other areas. So, again, there's no case of just living with them, but you sort of want to do a, a sort of multifaceted approach where you keep them away from places that, you know, your home, your kitchens, your restaurants. You don't want them in there to... You're looking at things such as repellent. You're looking at not just using poisons. Um, there's there's a whole range. As I said, we're not going to get rid of them. We've, <laughs> the only way to get rid of that is probably to get rid of humans and all the infrastructure they've created, and that's not possible. So <laughs> well, we've got to just, basically change, they, change certain behaviours. They just have such a symbiotic relationship uh, with humans, don't they? So, And they've just developed that over many years. Uh, look, thank you so much for having a chat to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. No problems. Associate Professor Matthew Crowther from the School of Life and Environmental Sciences at the University of Sydney talking about this phenomenon which we've, has been observed by academics around the world mm. where during COVID and during lockdowns, particularly because cafes and restaurants have closed, rodents move to the suburbs. Yeah. They go for a tree change. They might even go for a seat <laughs> change. This text, my crazy husband feeds them an apple or a pear every night, but it stops them coming inside. My crazy children support him and they've named them Ratatouille. <laughs> Speaking about living with rodents, I mean, that just sounds exactly like that. A uh, text here says, we were having a picnic in St Kilda Botanic Gardens last Friday and there were so many rats in the bushes. Um, this one says uh, an increase in rodent density promoted by increase in inefficient management of urban compost bins. That is a bit of a yeah. hot spot for yeah. rats. Chicken coops as well, says Sue in Ballarat. It's food source. You know, it's just yep. a food source. We had a rat highway when I lived somewhere close to the inner city because we had fruit trees in our backyard. And the moment we got rid of the fruit trees, we got rid of the rats. Juliet is in Bandura. Hi, Juliet. Uh, good day, Virginia. Yeah, I just been listening and thinking I agree we're not going to get rid of rats with poison and in fact wasn't there a, a meme going around years ago that when you were in a, a major urban centre you were never more than a metre away from a rat anyway you just couldn't see them yes. and the fact is that while before lockdown we were all going to cafes and restaurants and pubs and all that sort of thing and, and the rodents were concentrated there, well, we didn't all keel over then, did we? And we're not going to do it now. Mm, yeah, interesting point, Juliet. Thank you. Uh, Elisa is in Surrey Hills. Good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you? Good. Go ahead. Um, so I'm living in an eight-apartment block and recently the council have changed our bin collection due to the fact that they've now supplied us with two compost bins. So the actual waste bins aren't being collected weekly anymore. They're being collect collected fortnightly. And as such, a 
becoming really full really quickly and the number of rats that is now that's now attracted is just ridiculous. Yeah, oh. compost bins, there's lots of people, Alyssa, you're, you're certainly not alone that are, are saying that that's the, the reason and the food source. And that makes sense too, Jono, doesn't it? Because we're all at home more, we're all eating and, and cooking more. Uh, yeah. So the, our bins are getting fuller. We know that's been a secondary problem with lockdown as well, just looking that, at dealing with all of our rubbish. That's a really interesting observation from Alyssa there because um, the state government is is mandating that lots of local councils move to more um, bins, so FOGO bins, food and organic bins, which is, you know, mm. they're already in place in some local government areas, but it's interesting that Elisa was observing that. Let's have a chat with uh, Meg, who is in Castlemaine. G'day, Meg. What do you think? Hi, yeah, yeah, it is a problem with the, um, the amount of food waste. I mean, you know, you can complain about compost, but they say that Australia and Victoria in particular are very bad with food waste. So, so you know, we're not only leaving uh, just normal compost, we've actually got a whole lot of food waste going on. Yeah, well, that's part of the problem by the sounds of it. Because... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and the, I mean, the calls and the texts are coming in from all across Victoria with very similar problems. So they have certainly moved out of the suburbs, but there's a, t- uh, sorry, out of the city and into the suburbs. A text here saying we had a dead tawny frogmouth in our yard a few months ago, and I believe it had eaten a poisoned rat or mouse. And secondary poisoning is a big issue when it comes to this increase of rodents. And a regular on afternoons with Jacinta Parsons. Sean Dooley, he's the National Public Affairs Manager for BirdLife Australia. Sean, this is something that you've spoken about at length and that you're really passionate about, and it's very problematic uh, given that so many countries have actually banned a particular poison that's readily available at supermarkets and hardware stores. When we have more rats in our suburbs, people are poisoning them, and it's having an impact on our birds. Yeah, it is, Rochelle. Thanks for having me on. We, um, yeah, BirdLife Australia have been campaigning on this for a couple of years now and what we're really concerned about is the sec- what's called the second generation of anticoagulant rat poisons, which is probably the most common products now on the shelves. And the, the issue that we have is that these products, they don't break down. They, they, they're designed that the rats take the, take the poison or the mice and, and then go away from the bait station so it takes a while for them to to actually die and any sort of um you know humanitarian aspects aside that the problem is that it means that they're much more vulnerable to being predated by tawny frog mouths or owls or even things like magpies and people's dogs and cats and these eschars as they're called the second generation poisons they don't break down nearly as quickly and so the, the the predator animals will actually build up this this poison in their system as well. And we've just had results back in the last week from basically around Sydney, but very similar situation happens in Melbourne. We had had our volunteers in the Powerful Owl Project had noticed that a lot more powerful owls were being hit by cars around Sydney, and that the. The volunteers had collected the the corpses of these these owls, and we had thirty eight of them tested uh, for these signs of these rodenticides. And thirty seven of the thirty eight powerful Gosh. owls had uh, rodenticide in there in them when we did a liver toxicology test. And often, when you do a general post mortem on a dead bird, you might not see 
the actual bait in their stomach or in the stomach of their prey. Uh, but it actually gets into the system. You need specific toxicology tests. And the really frightening thing that we didn't realise that powerful owls ate so many animals that ate these products. We know they, we thought they mainly ate possums and birds, but it looks like they are taking a lot of rats and mice as well. And of the, those 38 that had, uh, had the poison in their system, 10% had enough poison for it to be lethal. But 60% had levels of this, of, of these rodenticides in them, which would cause internal bleeding and, mm. and impairment. And so what that's doing, it, it's making them cognitively impaired. So they're, they're misjudging their, their flights and things, and they're, they're far less capable of avoiding danger. So they're getting hit by cars, they're flying into windows more often, and they're being attacked by other animals as well, which you don't think of for a bird as big as a powerful no. owl. No. Now, so, Sean, that, that sounds certainly like some really strong evidence that we can kind of make that link between these anticoagulants and bird deaths. But has there been any academic studies to, to prove that? Yes, this is, um, there, there has been studies mainly from overseas, but there's been some really good work done out of Western Australia by uh, a guy called Mike Law, who studied a similar study with um, boo-book owls, uh, which do take small prey like mice, and they're, they're our smallest owl. And he had very similar results. I think it was something like 73% of the birds in Western Australia that he had picked up uh, through his study had had traces of these second generation um, poisons in them. So we, we know corresponding with that, we're seeing from our work, at, our monitoring work at BirdLife Australia, we're seeing a decline in, in birds of prey right across the country. And, you know, it, it could do with a lot of things, uh, be associated with climate change and drought and things like that. But the fact that it's the, the birds of prey and even things like kookaburras and magpies in some areas are starting to decline as well. We know these birds prey on rats and mice. Mm. So it, we can't prove that, that that's a direct correlation, but it's certainly having well, an impact. Well, it's forced many countries to, to ban this particular poison. Just finally, Sean Dooley, do you expect that we will follow suit in, here in Victoria? Well, we're hoping so. BirdLife Australia has been in conversation with uh, Bunnings, asking them to be a leader in in this field. And we're still in conversation and they're looking at, at the moment, they've done some minimal changes. They're separating out the different categories of poisons on the shelves so that you can go uh, go and pick a first generation poison, which is less harmful than the second generations. However, it's still leaving all the work up to the consumer. And, and most of us don't know about this stuff. And it's all lots of scientific names that it's very hard to keep track of. So we're really hoping that Bunnings in particular will take this further, but all the hardware chains and all the places that do sell these on the supermarket shelves, we're trying to restrict the, sa the the sales so that they're not just spread willy-nilly yeah. and not used properly when, when they are used. But we ultimately like them restricted totally t for just very specific eradication purposes, if at all. There was lots of texts coming in with people wanting to know different ways to be able to, uh, to handle the rat and mice problem and situation that they have in their homes. Sean, it's always wonderful to speak with you. Thanks so much. Thanks. And if people want to find out more, they could go to actforbirds.org uh, and, and there's a, a 
a whole lot of information about rat poisons and the impact they're having and alternatives that you can use. Good on you. Thanks, Sean. People can catch you just after two o'clock with Jacinta Parsons this afternoon for Squawk Back. That's Sean Dooley, the National Public Affairs Manager of BirdLife Australia. We'll continue this conversation on why there are more rats and mice in your backyard and where do they fit in our society? Is there a place for some of these rodents? On ABC Radio, this is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. I can't help myself. I, I like good food, okay? And good food is, is hard for a rat to find. It wouldn't be so hard to find if you weren't so picky. I don't want to eat garbage, Dad. Rats and rodents, that's what we're talking about today and lots of people from across Victoria have been talking about an increased sighting in rats and rodents. Have you noticed that at your place and are you doing anything about Mm -hmm. it? We have also been discussing if there's a way we can learn to live with rodents or if we just have to get rid of them. Oh, there's texts here, people finding on both sides here, Jono. One that says, I feed the house mouse in our family who lives in the fireplace dried soup mix. It stops them from getting into my cupboards and it works well. This is from Mark, right? And I'm sort of with Mark on this. It would really depend on the situation and how good the food is. It says, Rish and Jono, I lived in Japan for three years. Heading home late one night, we thought we should stop and grab some ramen. Sitting down in the ramen shop, I saw a, a rat walk along the back of the shop. I thought, do I tell my wife now or later? (laughs) Then I thought, later is better for me. So I told her. We stayed and we ate the ramen. It was good. That's the mark. You know, this is the well, thing. See, You've got to make that call. It's a story about living with rodents. And, and you know, humans and rodents have been living together for hundreds of years. Um, Caroline, uh, Caroline from Vermont uh, has taken a photo in Nunawading yesterday of a dead tawny frog mouth mm. in someone's front garden. I think the inference from that is that it's been caused yeah. by rat bait. Uh, let's have a chat with Leah, who is in Newport. G'day, Leah. Hello. Um, I have an, uh, a, an option that I came across, and it isn't a trap and it isn't a poison. It's actually the dead mashed potato, um, dried oh. mashed potato. And what I found was um, it was something used a long time ago, and then I actually saw it again online. And what you do is it's only for inside the home, because I've used it very successfully um, with the mice and with rats and they love the taste of it and it makes them very thirsty and so then they go and find a source of water and then it expands inside and they die very, very quickly after they've then consumed some water. And when I looked into it a bit further, I, through work that I do, I had contact with vets and with wildlife officers and they all agreed that that was a better solution for inside the home. I can't stand the trap. I, I can't pick them up. I just can't do it. Mm. Um, and I, my son did actually get one of those electronic ones that worked. 
And but sounds like you've find... really done your, your research too, Leah, to find the most humane way. And there's lots of people saying, you know, surely there's got to be a humane way here to do it. And the law of mashed potato, I mean, that's going to get anyone at, at any time, Jono, really, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know if that's a great way to go either. If you, um, know. you know, have expanding Deb mashed potato in your stomach and then you die that way. It doesn't uh, sound potato that makes a lot of us bloated, does it? doesn't it? Yeah. But <laughs> oh, it sounds horrible. But is there a humane way? Yeah. I mean, essentially, you're, you're killing something. And we had this conversation off air of why are we so grossed out by yeah. rats? You know, what is it about them where we feel comfortable? Well, most of us anyhow feel comfortable saying, you know what, poison it or trap it or bloat its guts with mashed potato or, dr- yeah. you know, yeah. let it drown yeah. or whatever it may be. We discuss that quite a lot. There's text here saying sort of adds to the reasons why. It says, well, it's because we've been getting rid of cats, which is, you know, the arch enemy of rats. But then someone else saying, do we need to think about having snakes as pets? You know, let's just introduce other animals, other yeah, freaky well, things into this conversation. This text says, evidently the wild snakes are extremely healthy and fat due to the abundance of rodents this year. But I tell you what's been a big, what was a PR disaster for rats and rodents was the Black Plague. And I don't think we've ever really got over that. I feel like there's just... We just associate rats and rodents with disease. Well, there's a text here that says um, with rats, you are much more likely to contract a serious disease from another human being than a rat. They were just blamed for spreading the plague in the past when in fact it was poor human hygiene allowing it to spread by the human race, which is the main cause. Robin's in Sherbrooke. Hi, Robin. Hi there. How are you going? Have you got rats? Oh, well, my, I think it's mice and they've made nests in my ducted heating. Mm. The ducts under the house, they've ripped them apart. I Unfortunately, I had them all replaced about three years ago at a cost of about $2,000 yeah. and they have wrecked them and you can see it. And because of where I live and I love all the native animals, I have owls in the garden, we also have a dog... I haven't, you know, I choose not to poison because of exactly what you've been talking about. And I'm just a bit stuck on what to do, um, you know, because it's it's a very cold place that yes, we live. Yes, you want to turn your heater on. Well, and and just, I'm just imagining you, Robin, lying in bed and listening to these oh, mice in oh. your ducted heating. I mean, you wouldn't be able well, to sleep actually, very well. Un- well, it's under the house. It's a big house and it's in a different area to me. But my daughter is... Um, using a, the room in the office, she'd had to turn the vent off in that room. Um, shut that well, vent. Shut, shut that vent, vent Robin. You, you don't want them coming out when you're asleep. Oh, well, hopefully our next guest who we'll be speaking to in just a moment will be able to help you with, with some of the solutions because unfortunately uh, you're not alone. Jane's in Alinda. Hi, Jane. Oh, hi. I just wanted to share my rat encounter. Um, I'd noticed that the, some of the vegetables and things were being nibbled in the garden. This wasn't right now, it was some time ago. And I put my wildlife camera on it to see what was happening and only to find out I got this fabulous shot of showing a rat had been able to get in under the, under the veggie plot just for the way it was constructed. And there is this picture of the, the, a beetroot being pulled into the hole that it had made. And so it had actually it was actively farming my veggie garden and eating oh. off my my Going produce. Going for your beetroot. <laughs> they are clever little creatures, aren't they, Jane? 
Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, are you finding a way to live with them, Jane, or are you like, well, get out of my uh, beetroot? There are just, <laughs> I, I think, even people don't think it, but there are rats everywhere. And I mean, they eat the lemons in the lemon tree. They're often, you know, they'll come and, and peel, you know, eat bits of the skin off. Um, I mean, it's really just a matter of watching your veggie garden. If it's to a point that it's palatable for a rat, you probably should have pulled it up and be eating it yourself. So it's just a matter of watching them and and harvesting and not yeah. leaving things to rot in your veggie. Uh, it's about removing... Removing that food source, Jane, is really, really important. And um, quickly to David in Burwood East. Good morning, David. Good morning. Um, we had a funny story. My wife and my daughter, we went to Paris and we're having dinner at the Eiffel Tower on the restaurant, the mid-level. And um, my daughter and I were sitting beside each other and my wife was opposite us and behind her we could see in the distance oh, no. a rat running around the restaurant. Maybe it was cooking, like in Ratatouille. You know, we shouldn't judge here. It was making you a beautiful meal. Well, we we notified the waitress just quietly and she, <laughs> and she did say, oh, you know about our friend Ratatouille? And we just burst out laughing. And then, did you and eat wife, though, David? Or did you say, I'll be right, thanks, I'll just have a coffee? No, 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 we had, we had dinner. It was an evening oh. meal and... Oh. Um, my wife's very edgy with um, rodents and um, my daughter and I were sort of whispering to each other and she could tell that there was something, there was something not quite right. <laughs> You're withholding some vital information, David. Oh, I love how passionate we are about our food, though. It's like, but you know what? This is really good spaghetti. I'm just going to finish it and pretend that that rat or rodent isn't here. There's a taxi, which is very funny. It says, Basil Fawlty had the major look after and control the rats in his restaurant with a double-barreled shotgun. I do remember them trying to get rid of that particular rodent in Faulty Towers, and that's pretty much how it would run in our household, I reckon. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe not the best way to deal with it. Um, Dr Kevin Rowe is a Senior Curator of Mammals at Museums Victoria. Good morning, Dr Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No worries. How do we deal safely with rodents these days? Well, I mean, uh, this is not particularly my expertise. I don't know if I'm anything misleading here to try to remove rodents. Um, you know, my, my interest is in studying the diversity of rodents and their role in ecosystems. And one thing I would say, you know, we talk about rats, there's a, um, over 2,500 species of rodents on Earth. Of those, there's maybe 1,000 species that we would refer to as something like rats and mice. And it's really only a very small number of species that actually are commensal, come into contact with humans and live in humans. Most, the vast majority of species really only live in intact in ecosystems and environments. Are, um, there, are there some that are native here? I, I remember sort of almost feeling like I was watching a, a David Attenborough documentary unfold in front of me, watching a, uh, and a, a some kind of bird of prey come down for what looked like a, a little native mouse, a little sort of bush mouse down uh, along the bay many years ago. And I was, I was sort of just wondering, are there some that are okay and that are native to us? Oh, yeah. I mean, so there's historically there were around 70 species of Australian native rodents. So it depends on how you define Australia because politically it includes Christmas Island, which is a completely different geographic place, uh, but doesn't include New Guinea, which is geographically quite connected. Um, and part of that ecosystem is include New Guinea. There's something like 180 native species of rats and mice, uh, rodents and uh, so the I mean, they've, they've got a bit of a rough trot, haven't they? Because of uh, ratus ratus, you know, the common rat, other species like your, your rakali, your, your water rats, 
people have poisoned those, haven't they? Because they think that they're, you know, dirty rodents and pests. Yeah, well, we've poisoned them and we've driven them to extinction. So more species of rodents have gone extinct than any other order of Australian mammals, 14 species uh, since European settlement have gone extinct. Um, And does that have a a flow-on effect? Well, yeah, we've got all, there's lots of disrupted ecosystems in Australia as part of the issues here. Um, but we also have ecosystems that are naturally disruptive. So Australia is a continent that goes through boom bust, both because of the climate, which fluctuates between these rain years and droughts, uh, and then also the age of the continent. We were the, oh, this is the oldest continent, so the primary productivity, the amount of nutrients in the soil, is lower than almost every other continent. So like lots of our plant species are adapted to living with low amounts of nitrogen in the soil, and that's why you use a different uh, soil when you're planting natives than you're planting non-natives. And then that lack of nitrogen feeds up into the ecosystem and creates these low, what we call primary primary productivity. And then that primary productivity has these flushes where it's really a boom, and then you get these incidents where you have bursts of species, including... Uh, native rats, long-haired rats, which are booming now, and uh, introduced house mice, which are booming and causing you know, billions of dollars of uh, economic damage and disrupting communities and families. Yeah. Now, I know you do like to focus on, on the native rats and native animals, but what about you know the common rat or the ratus ratus is, the, I think, the, the Latin name? Um, where does that fit in the food chain? They've just become so intertwined with humans and human life. And, and, and our of, waste is eating and, our rubbish right, and eating our, our veggie waste. patches. But once upon a time, you know, where did they fit in in the the circle of life, <laughs> as Walt Disney put it? I think. Well, well, black rats, ratus ratus. Black rats are actually a complicated complex of species <laughs> that we still don't know how many species are within them. So we now recognize ratus ratus, ratus tanzini. Um, that's been split out from what was once ratus ratus. But there are probably uh, numerous species in there actually, and they started out in Southeast Asia, and they really only invaded Europe. You know, we talked about. You talk about the Black Plague, and fortunately, one of your colleagues mentioned that recent studies show humans that spread it, not the rats. But uh, black rats only really invaded Europe about a thousand years ago, and they spread because they made this switch to being able to consume foods that we grow in our uh, farms or store in our cities in our garbage. So it's really that ability. I think you opened with Patton Oswald as a rat saying, "This, where do I find food to eat?" And that's really the issue: where are they going to find food to eat? So. Some species have been able to switch to eating the foods that we grow, either in our veggie patch or throw in our garbage, uh, and or grow in our in our fields, and then have been able to exploit the resources made by humans and and, and then invade our communities. And I guess to how they breed, when we look at you know the ratus ratus versus say the native rat, there's a great question here that says, well, do our native rodents breed like the pest variety? Is that part of the issue? You know, breeding like rats. Yeah, this is a complicated question. You can read our paper from 2011 on this. Reproductive rates in Australian rodents are related to phylogeny. but So it depends on which group of rodents you are. So Australian and New Guinea, continental Australian rodents really come in two origins. There's a, a first origin, a tribe called the Hydromyini, named after Hydromes, the Rakali, the water rat, uh, that arrived in New Guinea about six to eight million years ago and then uh, from New Guinea came to Australia at least eight times starting about four million years ago. Uh, and those all have about the same low reproductive rate. So we think of rodents and rats having really high reproductive rates. These guys have low reproductive rates, and we can measure that with things like the number of nipples, so the number of teeth. So they have they all have four teeth. There's one exception, uh, canopy living rat called Pagonomies. Um, then a second invasion 
natural uh, natural origin of rodents in Australia came about a million years ago when the genus Rattus, not Rattus Rattus, but other <laughs> species in that genus not arrived in New Guinea. <laughs> yeah, so and then they they diversified in New Guinea and then from New Guinea colonized Australia at least once, maybe twice, um, and then formed all these species. And one of the things that happened was in those species they evolved greater reproductive potential as they invaded Australia, leading to uh, the the long-haired rat, Rattus dolicissimus, a native rat that booms during these eruptive uh, climate cycles and has 12 uh, nipples as opposed to four nipples in uh, the other and many of the other native birds. Oh my birds. gosh, the, the knowledge that you have, Dr. Kevin Rode, the Senior Curator of Mammals at Museum Victoria on rats and rodents is incredible. Just finally, I mean, is there a way that we can live with them, you know. There's lots of texts coming in saying, well, you know, they're clean animals and, you know, you've just got to find a way, put out a food source so that they don't get into your ducted heating or whatnot. Do we need to just change the way we behave a little bit and can we live harmoniously together? Well, yeah, do do live with them. We're kind of fortunate in this country that we actually have much fewer rodents than every other country on Earth, right, because it's only these two origins from Asia to New Guinea and so forth that came here. Whereas most places in the world, it's up to 50% of the species are, are rodents, whereas here it's around 20 to 25%. Um, and, you know, coming from myself, American, uh, there's a lot of other things you have to worry about getting in your house and your home, squirrels and uh, chipmunks and uh, native other native mice uh, that we don't have to deal with. I'd say we're going to live with them. We have lived with them. Uh, they've evolved with us. Uh, and, you know, if you want to keep them out of your house, Seal off your house. That's really the best thing. You can seal off a place you don't want them to access. We all deal with it in their veggie gardens with all kinds of wildlife. You know, anyone who has a cherry tree knows that if they leave it open, the curlworms are going to eat all their cherries. So you know, protect your cherries. If you don't want rats in your house, find those gaps in your house, yeah. and seal you'll probably have a lower heating bill as exactly. well. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Kevin Rowe. I appreciate it. A pleasure. Dr. Kevin Rowe, Senior Curator of Mammals at Museums Victoria. Uh, this one says, Hi guys, has anyone mentioned the native rat, which we just had a chat about? They're omnivores as well and look very similar to uh, the common rat, if you weren't familiar. Uh, more common in regional areas. They're also susceptible to being poisoned, but they're lovely little native creatures, says DC. This is the tricky bit, Rish, is we've got to try and protect our native species. Yeah. Uh, while we're doing this, and I think this, I think this is a direct quote from Basil Fawlty, just talking about Fawlty Towers. Uh, <laughs> it's not a rat; it's a very rare Siberian hamster. I'm, I'm, Everything's I'm, okay when you can quote Basil Fawlty. <laughs> Sally's in Hampton. Hi, Sally. Hi. Well, you can imagine the scene in the kitchen when I um, noticed a rather funny smell that was slowly getting worse and worse. And I couldn't find anything where the smell could be coming from. But I had a large can of olive oil and I thought, oh, maybe that's gone off a bit. And so I started to decant it, but it sort of never got any lighter. And then some little red globules started appearing. And then I went and got a torch and shone it into the tin. And to my horror, there was this enormous dead rat, which had started to rot as the level of the olive oil had gone down. Oh, Sally. But the good news was it was winter and I hadn't made a salad. I'd only had rat of lamb and ratatouille. Oh, and the fact that you actually had some ratatouille. I remember Miff Warhurst telling me a story that she 
thought once her cup of tea tasted uh. a bit strange and <laughs> she'd made multiple cups of tea and I think for other people as well yeah. and there was a dead um, mouse in the kettle and it just, oh, God, I That'd can't do even it. say it. That'd just do it, Miff. boiled multiple times. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. God. Yeah, both of us. I think when Sally from Hampton was just telling that story, I was watching Eurish, and both of us were just had our I hands try on to, our heads. I try to be cool, you know. I try yep. to be Fonzie, and yep. I'm cool with this. I don't know why they gross me out. Here's an embarrassing story. In the 90s, I was about 16, 17, I tried to be a goth, and I thought goths <laughs> had uh, pet rats. Yeah. I couldn't quite bring myself to get one. I went to the local pet shop in Moi and I walked out with a guinea pig. <laughs> I thought it kind of looks similar, but then guinea pigs are really scared creatures, right? So you couldn't do that goth thing and have it sitting on your shoulder and look yeah. awkward. But anyway, it's too hard being a goth full stop. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, was how, how long did that trend, uh, that phase last in your life? The goth Once phase? it hits summer, it's too hard being a it's goth. It's really I? hard in Australia to be a goth. It is. It works in those European climates where it is a bit colder. Um, but thank you to everyone who has texted through today. So many texts. Eric in Warrigal. Uh, has sent through a picture of uh, a mouse, I think it is, in his garden right now. Uh, Megan from Q emphasising the problems with rodent poisons or rodenticides as they're called. Uh, Our beloved cat died from rat poison. We don't know if it was a primary or secondary poisoning, but it was horrible for the poor cat. And the secondary poisoning is a really big issue. If you've just joined us and you didn't hear the first part of this program, uh, Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia, you know, you can go to BirdLife Australia's website. They've got a lot of information on there about poisoning poisons, the impacts that it has on our bird life and in particular our owls and our birds of prey. So go to their website. They are doing a lot, a lot of work in that area. If you've missed some of the conversation today or you've been listening and thinking, oh look, I know someone who really should listen to this, uh, you can get this on podcast. The Conversation Hour is available wherever you get your podcasts or on the ABC Listen app. And you can always email us as well if you have a person or an idea that you'd like to share with us. Our email address, conversationhour at abc.net.au. Till we speak to you next time, take care and speak soon.